0: The first of my posts to the Facebook group about Part 1, Book 4, was a summary of the chapter, emphasizing what I think is most important about it. As I'm sure those who listen to the audio could tell, this chapter is almost emotionally unbearable to me. One member of our group described it as a roller coaster ride from the heights of beauty to the depths of horror. I experience it that way, too. The chapter opens with the old man, the ferocious and ruthless leader of Vendée, the general who has ordered a peasant uprising under the command, No Mercy, No Quarter, enjoying the tranquility of evening. There is an hour of the day which might be called the absence of noise. It is the serene hour. I love that line. From his vantage point, he surveys the land, and his eyes rest on an enclosure of trees, walls, and roofs in the distance, a farm. He hears passing voices, unexpected peals of joy in the shadows, women and children. The conversation he hears among them confirms for us that these are the women and children of the Red Bonnet Battalion. It informs us that they are walking toward the farm, and with subtle, charming details, like the conversation between the Vivandiere and René-Jean about his sweetheart, it makes us fall just a little more in love with these innocent human beings." Characters we barely know, but nevertheless already love. And by the end of the chapter, the old man will have ordered the farm burned, the women shot, and the children kidnapped. Then we watch a mystery unfold. The old man sees the strange opening and closing of a belfry in the distance. Looking from one belfry to another, he sees that their cages too are opening and closing. All across the land, bells are ringing. A toxin. Someone is being hunted. Who? He discovers the poster. They are hunting the Marquis de Lantinac. At that moment, he is greeted by a beggar who recognizes him, his lord, his benefactor, the Marquis de Lantinac. The beggar has seen the poster. He knows that Lantinac has been declared an outlaw and a price has been put on his head. He knows that any man who captures him, dead or alive, will make his fortune. And with a gesture of humanity that is almost incomprehensible to Lantenac, this poor, starving beggar offers to hide him. He is taking pity on him. He says, There is a man who is even poorer than I am. I have a right to breathe, and he doesn't. He is repaying a kindness. He says, You occasionally gave me alms. Sometimes a sou means life. He is expressing concerns that lay outside revolution and civil war. When Lantenac asks, What do you think of what's happening? He says, I have nothing to live on. He sees a man in need, and he offers him life. On one condition, that he hasn't come there to do evil. The next day, venturing out into the gay morning sunshine, Lantanac again sees the poster calling for his capture and execution. And this time, he sees the signature. Govan. Govan. This name clearly means something to him. Something important. In a moment, the deep joy of mourning is shattered by an explosion of hell. Gunfire, smoke, flames, savage cries swoop down on the fields and the farm like a whirlwind. As Lantenac moves toward the chaos, almost mindlessly, oblivious to the danger, wanting to know, he finds himself surrounded by a crowd of men, armed with muskets, bayonets, and sabers, carrying a tricolored flag and calling his name. Believing he has been captured by the enemy army, he bears his breast and tells them to fire. Instead, they fall at his feet. They are an army of peasants who attacked the blues quartered at the farm, took their flag, and went out seeking their own leader. Lantnac takes command and issues his cruel and merciless orders. Then Talmark comes upon the scene that I could barely summon myself to read the burning heap of ruins, the pile of shoeless corpses, the pool of smoking blood, the murdered vivandiere, the wounded mother with her livid breast, the frightened peasants who were witness to the slaughter and to the children being torn from their mother's side, and Telmark's pained realization that the man to whom he showed humanity is the man responsible for this evil. "'if he had only known. "'The next of my posts was titled "'Men Willing to Die for an Idea. "'Few stories from history are as emotionally stirring "'as that of Nathan Hale, "'a revolutionary soldier who, fully aware of the dangers, "'volunteered to cross enemy lines as a spy. "'Captured, condemned, and sentenced to execution, "'he was brought to the scaffold, "'and the noose was placed around his neck.' As legend has it, he stood proud, made a stirring speech in defense of his actions, and then, staring death in the face, uttered his famous declaration, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. He was a man willing to die for an idea. Hugo's novels are filled with such men. Hugo's universe is one in which men have passionately held values and defend them with principled devotion. They face grave dangers, endure terrible trials, make magnanimous gestures, and they do so with a calm and confident serenity. They know their souls. Lantanac's response when he believed he was surrounded by an enemy army called to mind the story of Nathan Hale and in particular, the statue of Hale in front of New York's City Hall. The sculptor depicts Hale with head high, shoulders back, palms turned out, and a tranquil expression. Similarly, Hugo writes of Lantenac: The Marquis was alone, standing on top of a hill, visible from every part of the woods. He could scarcely see those who were shouting his name, but he was seen by all of them. If there were a thousand muskets in the woods, he was there, like a target. He could see nothing in the thicket except the burning eyes staring at him. He took off his hat, turned up its brim, pulled a long dry thorn from a furze bush, took a white cockade from his pocket, and used the thorn to fasten the cockade and the brim to the body of the hat. Then, putting on his hat, whose turned-up brim revealed his forehead and his cockade, he said loudly, speaking to the whole forest, "'I'm the man you're seeking. I'm the Marquis de Lantinac, Vicomte de Fontenay, Breton Prince, Lieutenant General in the Armies of the King. Let's put an end to this. Aim your guns. Fire!' And drawing aside his goatskin jacket with both hands, he exposed his bare chest." This was a bold and dramatic action in the spirit of Hale. But how many gestures, spiritually akin to this one, have we already seen? Telmark foregoing a fortune. Michelle Flechard dividing her bread among her children. The gunner risking his life to subdue the cannon. And there is much more to come. I also shared a post about favorites in Part 1, Book 4. I've already mentioned a number of favorites in the two previous posts. The tenderness we feel for René-Jean when we are allowed to eavesdrop on his charmingly guileless conversation about his sweetheart. The admiration we feel for Lantenac when he stands proud and defiant before his apparent captors, committed to his cause and unafraid to die. The agony we feel when Telmarc utters his devastated lament, "'If I had only known.'" One of our group members drew my attention to what immediately became a new favorite. It was the description of Lantanac as he sat on the dune. Although filled with violent preoccupations, the old man sank into the ineffable gentleness of the infinite. I've taught this novel at least a dozen times, and one of the reasons I can never tire of teaching it is that each new reading allows for the possibility of new favorites— Hugo's ability to put complex thoughts, feelings, and impressions into incisive and poetic words makes reading and rereading and rereading unendingly enjoyable. I love turning my focus on a line of description like that one and endeavoring to connect it to my own experience. Here in Southern California, I enjoy the benefit of living near the ocean. Gazing upon the ocean can have an almost indescribable calming and elevating effect on your soul. I'm sure many of you have experienced that. I say an almost indescribable effect because I think the ineffable gentleness of the infinite captures it quite well. And I love having the words. If you'd like to join the Facebook group discussion, you can help me discover more new favorites.